T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sports Radio 92.9, the game back at a John Chuckery show. Halfway home on this Monday evening. 404-741-0929. Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app, how you catch us on the go. At 92.9, the game on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. At JMCH316 on my personal Twitter. We'll get to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We'll get to a That's Life coming up here in about 20 minutes. If you didn't hear our interview with Andy Larson, good stuff there, good uh, information from the uh, Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, current uh, beat writer, and he has been there since the year before Quinn Snyder got to to Utah. So he was there for his entire tenure and run of uh, his coaching. Um, I want to play you, before we hear from Dukes and Bell in their interview with Quinn Snyder, I want to play you what Andy Larson said at the very end of this interview. I want you to hear this clip about what he had to say in regards to personnel. With with kind of where the Jazz were as an organization coming into last offseason, uh, something that he didn't feel really sure that that would be uh, given to him in Utah anymore with, again, changing ownership and changing management. So, yeah, and, you know, I think that's maybe one fair criticism is say, you know, it, it's not going to be um, necessarily a, you know, Quinn's not going to acquiesce sometimes to those kind of things. Like, he will make his voice really heard and make his, you know, and want to be a part of a voice in the room in those decisions uh, if, he, if he is coaching a team. And, you know, clearly I think he, it's pretty clear that he wants that voice and is, is getting that voice in Atlanta. Well, is he? You know, one of the things that we heard that was going to happen <clears throat> was is that he was going to be named president of basketball operations. Same title Mike Budenholzer had, same title Travis Schlenk had, right? That he would be president of basketball operations. That did not happen. So now, is he just a coach? Or, depending on how this thing goes... Is he going to have an influence in personnel decisions? If things go well, is he taking over that duty? Food for thought, something to think about. Say you heard it here first. Anyway, all right, let's uh, let's get to Quinn Snyder on with Dukes and Bell earlier today. Here's uh, Coach Snyder talking about bringing, or sorry, uh, bridging. Is that bridging on bridging? You got, yeah. 
bridging. He's got B R I S G I N G. I don't know bris brisging. Uh, that's that's maybe a new word. Fingers were moving too fast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on bridging the relationship between he and Trey Young? Well, it, it's a great question. And, you know, I think to, as a starting point, I think it's important for me, you know, to, to form my own relationships and opinions, um, whether that be of players, coaches, you know, anyone um, that, that you come in contact with that you don't have um, experience with. I, I think that's you know, very important for Trey and for the other guys, you know, on the team that part of the, you know, what you, how you, the second part of the question talking about the last 20 games, I think that's really um, a big part of why I took the job. And also um, when I say took the job, you know, decided that I would come in here and, and finish now because there's a lot of things to, to work through and, it's such an unusual situation. There's just there's not a playbook for it um, per se. But I, I, my feeling was, in, in spite of the you know the, the challenges that exist, that e- even those to to have an opportunity to go through that with the players, you know, whether it's a big win, a big loss, a certain play, you know, something involved in, in execution, you know, anything, timeout, um, all those windows are kind of you know, teachable moments, for lack of a better word. And, you know, to be here and be a part of it, you guys know, I mean, this league, this league's competitive and it's tough and it's demanding. And, you know, you hear coaches and players talk about, you know, a foxhole. And um, for me to be in that with the guys, I think that that provides an opportunity for growth. And, uh, you know, you really get to know, I, I hope we don't have to go through a lot of, Hard times, but you know, even in 20 games, you find challenges, and um, those are the times that you have a chance to find out more about each other. Well, look, certainly, you know, he had a star player, and obviously, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, they were star players in the league. We talked to Annie Larson, you know, obviously, Donovan Mitchell's, you know, even going to bigger heights, and and he's been even better in Cleveland. But he knows about this dynamic. He understands this dynamic. And, look, I I think that he and Trey Young will be good for one another. He's a very offensive-minded coach. And he's got a lot of ability. And if Trey and DeJounte and these guys can get on the same page with him, they can – listen, we talked about with – um. Uh, with Andy, they were the most efficient offensive team in the NBA. They can be that. They've got a lot of star power. They've got a lot of firepower. So, if they'll just bond together, don't always have to. Don't they don't always have to like each other. But certainly, getting that relationship on track. And I don't know how much you learn in twenty games or whatever, but certainly, they can get this thing to big heights. All right, here's uh, Quinn Snyder on why the Hawks' position was attractive to him. You know, yeah, it, it was relationships. I, I think, you know, initially when I talked to Kyle and, and you know, he, he asked me, you know, would I have an interest and in what level, and I, and I did, and it was a strong interest. And, you know, and obviously I know Kyle and, and trust him. But, I, I, you know, I talked to Landry quickly after that, um, and the conversations that, that I had with him, it, there's just 
started out more big picture. Um, you know that there just seemed to be alignment. You know, I think both those guys are bright. You know, it's not insignificant that they have experience as players. I think that is something that, that they can lean on and can be unique. Um, you know, you go down the list of certain things that, that I think, you know, are, are part of building a program. When I say program, you, you know, it's kind of excellence over a period of time. And that, that doesn't that doesn't mean um, that we're, we're, we're waiting to be competitive. This year is paramount to that because I think it's an opportunity, you know, anytime you're involved in a, an intense situation, whether it's success, failure, scrutiny, you, you can learn about one another and you have a chance to, to grow. So, you know, with Kyle and Landry, I, you felt that and then, as we, you know, continue to talk, I, I think that, you know, those over that that alignment is what allows you to be good because you don't know. The one thing that we know about this league is that there's just constant change. It's such a dynamic league, and to have that alignment and trust, and I, I felt like that was something that that you know we could have, uh, particularly over time as we even work together longer, you know, and. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the reasons I was excited about the opportunity. I can uh, think about 8 million reasons why he would also come and work for the Atlanta Hawks and probably some future promises that were made to him that we don't know about. But anyway, here's uh, Quinn Snyder on what his uh, defensive strategy will be for the Hawks. Well, I was I, I had a defensive player of the year, and he made me look pretty good at some point. And I, I, <laughs> I'm not saying that, that, that we're not going to work on that, but you mentioned it before that you know players, you know players make plays. We like to say, and you know sometimes yeah, Ru- you can drop Ru- a really. Ru- Rudy's pretty good. We yeah. know. <laughs> we don't have a Rudy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but you know, I do think you know every situation is different, and that's one of the things is you kind of feel the personnel. Um, and you look to even if there there's some subtle things that, um, you know, sometimes with, with different players, and there's other ones where, you know, a certain type of de- – you're not going to, you know, run the ball if, if you don't have a good offensive line and you can't throw the ball if you don't have good receivers, no matter how good, your, you know, your quarterback might be. So it's, i got to go with the football now, as you hear in Georgia, when the dogs are really good, right? Right. But, um, so it's – um. The point is, you're, uh, you have to, I think, develop a style of play, whether it be defense or offense, that, that is conducive to your personnel. And ultimately, you know, that, that process um, for a coach, it's really about optimizing what, what you have and what you can do. And, and doing that, I, I think it starts with emphasis, you know, and, and that's one of the things I think, you know, that, that happens over time, but it's also something that, you know, that you, you get a chance to focus on how much, you know, we try to move the needle as much as we can. Um, but a lot of times those things are gradual as far as habits and, and uh, you know, repetition and, and your, you know, your identity generally. But it's something certainly, you know, you focus on and our team may play differently um, on the defensive end because our personnel is different. But there's some things that are consistent you know, throughout the league with good defensive teams. There's no question about that. Well, look, Capella's a better-than-average rim protector. 
He's an elite rebounder. We obviously had high hopes for DeAndre Hunter. Um, You know, he was the best on-ball defender in America coming out of college. The best defensive player in all of college basketball. DeJounte Murray is a second-team all-defensive player. We know he can play some defense. You know, Collins can hang on his own. Trey's gotten a little bit better defensively. You know, we talked about the fact that he's got active hands and things like that. His rating is his lowest in his career, but he is a little bit better defensively. He's not he's not the worst defensive guard in the NBA. So they've got some pieces. But, again, it's, it's scheme. It's want-to. You know, you, you got to have an emphasis on all of that. So, you know, we'll see how that part of it goes. Uh, here's uh, Quinn Snyder talking about working with Trey and DeJounte. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's really an exciting, you know, part of the job for me. And you mentioned, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, and I, I think, you know, both Trey and DeJounte are capable of playing without the ball as well. And to try to put them in situations, um, you know, where they can they can share and do that and make each other better. Um, and again, you know, I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I think we need to be careful trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, the last two games, the way we've played, you know, Joe's done a terrific job. Players, you know, sharing the ball, coming together. Um, there's there's some things, hopefully, that you see that, that you have success in that you, you try to continue to do and then, you know, do, do it more and, and do it better. And um, those guys, you know, th- th- that kind of chemistry comes, you know, over time. And, uh, again, it's another – thought that I had about, you know, being able to really feel that and get a chance to, you know, watch film with guys and emphasize certain, certain things, teach them, coach them. And, uh, you know, those two guys certainly are, you know, really good players. Well, look, um, when their backcourt plays really well, they win. And that's the guys who are going to lead them. When Trey and DeJounte play really well, and they were outstanding these last two games. 121 points, what was it, 27, 29 assists that they had in in these two wins. When those guys get it cranked up and going and they work well together on the floor, they're a tough matchup. And and that's what we want to see. That's what we want to see more of. That's what we want to see these guys come together because they are supposed to be and were supposed to be one of the more dynamic backcourts in the entirety of the NBA. All right, let's grab one more before we get out of here. Um, Donovan Mitchell, uh, his time working with him and working with Trey to help him out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you, you hit it on the head as far as every star um, and every player, frankly, is different. And they need different things from you as a coach. You know, I, I think it's important to kind of try to identify what those things are. Um, I think it's important to know the player and how he sees those things and that, that communication to, you know, to, to come together and, and have kind of a shared vision of, of a guy's growth. And if you think you need, a player needs to do something to get better and he doesn't think it, they're not going to embrace it the way mm. um, that you want them to and it's not going to happen. So um, I, I think that process of you know, really explaining why um, 
is important in, in Donovan's case, like Trey. I mean, they're, they're gifted players. And, uh, you know, I think understanding why um, really is, a, is foundational as far as um, getting someone to, to buy into what you're really you're, – it's not what you're doing, it's what, what you're doing together. And that's when I think you make strides and, you know, those guys that, that want to be better and want to be coached. Well, look, um, again, he's worked with a star player. Um, I believe that him and Trey will come together and they will get this thing on track. And, um, you know, what that means for what their record is, you know, we can only hope. But here's what I know. Bogey said it best last, last week. Winning solves everything. Winning solves everything. And that's what the Hawks have to do right now. We come back. That's life. We'll get to our top 10 plus um, a bad business deal that Mike Tyson made. All that next. Chuck Renicki Studios, Sports Radio, Night on the Game, the Odyssey.com app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back with the John Chuckery Show. 921, live from the Kia Studios. You know what time it is. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. 404-741-0929. Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey apps how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929 The Game at JMCH316 on Twitter. Got Day Day producing the show here tonight. We'll play our interview with Andy Larson here from the uh, beat writer for the Utah Jazz from the Salt Lake Tribune here in about 20 minutes from right now. Uh, you know, I love these auctions, Day Day. So a Michael Jordan 1996 Upper Deck U.S. Olympic Champions card with an autograph of Michael on the front recently sold for $210,000. A Michael Jordan autograph that sold nice. for two hundred nice, nice amount of change thousand dollars. Man, oh man, oh man! I'm telling you. Now, have you seen this story at all? Blake Martinez had, uh, recently retired from the NFL. He retired last year from right. the NFL. Okay. Well, 
you know what he's done since his retirement? He's selling Pokemon cards. Oh, wow. Over the past seven months, he's earned more than $5 million in revenue. In Pokemon cards. I, I mean, I remember when that was a... I didn't realize that was still a big craze. I, I don't know, but it must be because in the past seven months, $5 million bucks he's raised. Wow. So, I mean, who needs an NFL pension when you got Pokemon right, cards? Got- <laughs> but uh, listen, hey, I mean, the way that these things are right now... And, and, and he's how old? He's only what? 30-some? Oh, God, let me see. Blake Martinez. Because that means he probably has original cards. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, listen, he probably he probably put money toward all that stuff, but he's 29 years old. Oh, yeah, so those, some of those cards are probably cards he actually had as a kid. Well, he's made $5 bucks in seven months. Wow. So, ain't too shabby. Ain't too shabby. All right, listen to this. Th- this is a great story. Nintendo paid Mike Tyson for his likeness on Punch-Out, okay? They paid him a flat fee of $50,000. Now, that's a nice chunk for just appearing on a video game. Yeah, especially back then. That was, what, late 80s? Yep. Yeah. Well, Tyson became the youngest heavyweight champion. The same year the game came out, he became the youngest heavyweight champion in the history, and the game sales exploded. So rather than getting residuals and different things like that, he got his $50,000 fee. The game has now sold to date 2 million copies and generated $1.7 billion in revenue for Nintendo. $1.7 billion in revenue for Nintendo. You think that was worth 50000 bucks? Oh, man. That's one of those things where he's probably wanting to choke the mess out of Don King right I now. I mean, you paid fifty grand, and your company has $1.7 billion in revenue for all of it. Wow. You know what? If they were, if they were decent, come on, man. You got to give You got to break Mike Why? off something. I mean, listen. I don't. I don't. Are there other versions of that game or anything like that? I remember the original Punch Out game. Yeah, that, I, I mean, mean, maybe there's other versions. Maybe he's done some PR stuff or whatever like that. But a deal's a deal. Yeah, but he was young. He was probably yeah. what when he signed that deal. He was probably what seventeen, eighteen. Well, maybe I mean, nineteen. It's, it's I don't the, know. It's the year he became heavyweight champion. It's the year he became okay. the heavy, youngest so. heavyweight champion. So what year did what year did he what year did he win his first title? I'm trying to see here. What what year would that have been? Um, oh, let's see. He won his first title in. I uh, made his debut in '85. Uh, let's see here. '86, uh, November. November 22nd, November 22nd, that's one day after my daughter's birthday. One, November 22nd, 1986, he became the, he, he uh, got a TKO and at the age of 20 years and four months become the youngest heavyweight champion. So since 1986, 
since 1986. 1.7 billion That's in revenue. That's a lot of money. I'd, 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 I'd just out of the kindness of my heart, I'd just break him off a little extra. Well, uh, listen, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he's gotten some things, you know, from it. I mean, I'm sure it just wasn't 50 grand, and it's never been yeah. spoken of again or anything like that. But tells you, like, you know, get your residuals, get your name, image, and likeness all trademarked, and yeah. all those good. Well, kinds back of things. then too, that it, that's that's one of those lessons about not uh, letting other people completely handle everything, and yes. obviously that was that was that stage he oh, was yeah. in where everyone yeah. else handled everything yeah. for him. And listen, I understand at 20 years old, you know, but when you get to that kind of fame, and again. 20, 20 years old, fifty grand in 1986. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money in yeah. 1986. You can do a lot with it. Let me even, let me even put it this way: If you would have invested in the market, you'd probably have ten times that amount of money. Right. If you'd invested fifty, maybe even more than that. But I'm just being conservative. You'd probably had ten times more money than you know. But again, young and obviously he had financial issues and all that kind of stuff along with it. All right, it is uh, James Worthy's birthday today. And I bring this up because I don't know for a lot of people if they understand. Everybody remembers James Worthy with the Lakers and winning the titles and Showtime and all that kind of stuff. But he was one of the best college basketball players I've ever seen. He was an outstanding collegiate basketball player. And I believe that he was selected for the 1980 men's Olympic team uh, that did not end up going, and they didn't go to Moscow. Remember, we boycotted the we boycotted the uh, <coughs> Olympics in 1980. I believe that he and Alton Lister and some of those guys that were on that team, but he was a tremendous collegiate basketball player. I don't know if a lot of people really realize how good of a college basketball he player he was. He was lightweight the uh a star the star of that of uh, the I think the team when it was Jordan's what sophomore year? Yes. Yeah. Well Jordan's freshman, freshman year, year yeah. when they when they went to the when they played Georgetown in the yeah. NCAA championship. Yeah, he that, was Jordan like hit the, the shot as a team. freshman. Yeah. But he was the alpha male yeah. on that team. Yeah. He was the guy. Like Jordan was just coming up, but Worthy was the guy on that team. So with that, tonight's top ten list. Top 10 collegiate basketball players that we've seen in our lifetime. Day-Day, the floor is yours. All right, so no particular order for me on this because this was tough because I could name easily 30. But since you said top 10, um, I got Kenny Anderson, of course, okay. Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rip Hamilton, UConn. Uh, Stacey Augman, when he, uh, the UNLV days. Uh, and again, this is my former, personal for, former Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks, Hawks first round draft pick, Plastic Stacey Man. Yep. yep. Uh, he, now he was, I tell you, and and I've got the other guy on that team, but uh-huh. he was a master at running the fast break. Like yep. he could get out on the wing, and he was the best finisher in college yep. basketball, and he was the best defensive player in college basketball. Yes, like they were a rugged defensive team yep. with UNLV. But Augman was the defensive guy, and mm-hmm. he could run the fast break like nobody. He was one of the great finishers yes. of all time around the rim on the fast break. Yeah, loves love. He was my favorite player of that team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, growing up a UNC fan, this one pains me. But Grant Hill. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, of course, Shaq. Uh, don't you know. know what's, you know what's funny about about those teams? Uh huh. They had 
They had Shaq. Mm-hmm. They had Stanley Roberts. They had the Twin yep. Towers. And they had um, Chris Jackson. Who's actually on my list. Yeah. He's he on my list. He would become Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf or whatever. Yes. Um, but, and they did that uh, documentary recently mm-hmm. about him protesting the national anthem and all that. Yeah. But Chris Jackson, Shaquille O'Neal, and Stanley Roberts. And Stanley yep. Roberts was actually the biggest prospect right. of those guys. He was looked at as being the guy that was going to excel in college exactly. and go on to the yep. pros and have the big pro career. But they had those three guys, and they couldn't win. Like, they were not a very – I mean, I think they got to the second round or something like that. Right. Sweet 16 maybe. But they were not nearly the team that – I mean, if you had those three guys today, mm-hmm. they they pulverize everybody. Right. Pulverize everybody. <laughs> yes. Um, and I got a funny story about uh, Chris Jackson. I actually played pickup ball with him at oh, LA okay. Fitness. Nice. And uh, it was the best – game I ever played in my probably life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh continuing on, Harold Minor from USC. Oh, wow. uh, remember okay. at Jordan. one point baby I was gonna say he was dubbed Baby oh, Jordan. My, listen, yeah. Hey Randy, <laughs> listen, he was at the slam dunk contest as a judge. Uh-huh. And Randy McMichael had the best tweet about all of that. Cause you know obviously he was there to judge the dunk contest, right? Right. right. Randy McMichael said it looks like Harold Miner's only been dunking donuts because he was he was a big dude. Like he was he's, he was, he's enjoying life. He was living healthy. <laughs> right. He was eating eating really good. All right, uh, Rasheed Wallace, one of my favorite Carolina uh, oh, wow. players okay. of yeah. all time. And I, uh, again. you know, it's funny because so many of those guys, I don't want to say that they were held back, but you know they would you know obviously look. Perkins, Worthy, Jordan, mm-hmm. Rasheed Wallace, Stackhouse, um, Stackhouse. Yeah. I mean, you know that like some of those guys. I don't want to say they were held back in college, right? But they didn't become necessarily the collegiate players we thought they could, and right. then really excelled at the pro level. Right. Right. Yep. I agree. George Lynch is another one who was uh, a Carolina mm-hmm. that probably yep. was could fall in that category. Uh, and then my last two, Gary Payton. And then you ready for this one? Because Oregon you, State, by yes, the way, for which yes, Gary I loved Gary Payton mm-hmm. in college. Uh, and my last one, you did not specify which side of the college game they had to be on. Dawn Staley. Oh wow, yes. Um, aren't they giving her a statue? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think they're I think they're building her a statue yeah. for her achievements at South Carolina. Yep. So, all right, I've got an honorable mention. Um, the guy who ate his way out of the NBA, Keith Lee. <laughs> the, the Cavaliers drafted several of these guys that ate their way out of the league. Keith Lee ate his way out of the league. Mel Turpin ate his way out of the league. Yeah. Like, they drafted these guys that could not stop eating. <laughs> they ate their way out of the league. Keith Lee was one of the best players ever seen. He was on yeah. the 84 Olympic team, if yep. that tells you how good. Played at Memphis State. Mm-hmm. He was a tremendous player. All right, my list in no particular order. Grandmama, Larry Johnson. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he was the superstar yes. on that team. Um, Len Bias. Oh, yeah. Who was going to be yeah, the he next, was, yep. next greatest thing. I mean, yes. I'll, I'll argue he was every bit as good or better than mm-hmm. Michael Jordan was yeah. in college. I, I, I mean, he was a tremendous player in college. Um, Danny Manning, who single-handedly yeah, yeah, led yeah. his Kansas team Kansas, to yeah. the national title. I've got Worthy on my list. Um I've got Patrick Ewing as well. Okay, yeah. And, Can't and argue he that. wasn't Patrick Ewing wasn't a dominant scorer or these kinds of things, but he was in my lifetime, 
mm-hmm. the most intimidating player yes. I've ever seen on a bat. You had to change your offensive philosophy and style mm-hmm. to get around Patrick Ewing. Yes. And he just put the fear of God into other teams when they would try to go against him. Yeah. You know, he's the ultimate in college. He was the ultimate rim protector. Yes. Um, Another guy that I was uh, such a fan of, Steve Alford. Yes. Was, and he was also on the 84 uh, Olympic team as a freshman. One of the absolute best players ever without the basketball. Mm-hmm. without the, And he could find a spot on a floor and always get open, running off picks, running baseline, and he would always find a way to get open and drill it. And, look, that was before the college three-point shot. Right. So, you know, guys like that were averaging – you know, he would average 25 a night right. in college, and they didn't have a three-point shot. Mm-hmm. That's how good he was in all of it. Um, Lionel Simmons, the train yes. out of LaSalle, a double-double machine in college. Didn't really pan out. I think he was a top-five pick. I think for Sacramento, uh, was a top-five pick. Never really kind of panned out in the NBA, injuries, things like that. But, man, was he dominant uh, in college. Um, Sherman Douglas. One of the great point guards of all time. I think he, I think he left college as the all-time assist leader uh, when he was finished up. But what a tremendous point guard! And my last couple, Wayman Tisdale. Wayman Tisdale. Yeah, Wayman Tisdale. First, that was first my off, dad's favorite player. One of my um, dad's favorite well, Wayman Tisdale, the the lefty man, was unbelievable. A jazz player too. A jazz uh, what saxophonist? Yes. I think a yes. jazz saxophonist. Yep. yep. And he died way too young. He died yep. really young, but. Uh, Wayman Tisdale, both great in the world of jazz yep. and collegiate basketball, and one of the absolute greatest players. And and I will say that if you're putting together an all-time starting five, your front court, your front court mm-hmm. has to be Lou Alcindor, mm-hmm. Bill Walton, mm-hmm. and this guy Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner is one of the great <laughs> collegiate <laughs> basketball players of all time. He is the ultimate winner. In college basketball. I mean, say what you will. His, you know, he was a jag-off, an a-hole, <laughs> and everything along with it. But he's absolutely one of the greatest collegiate basketball players. And he just, I mean, that Duke, those Duke teams. I mean, you obviously know. But, yeah. I mean, Grant Hill and Bobby Hurley. And, yeah. and just Thomas Hill. Yeah. yeah, Thomas Hill. And yeah. just, man, they were, they were on and on and on and on from a depth standpoint. But Leitner is one of the all-timers. All right, when we get back, we will hear from Andy Larson, who we caught up with earlier in the show. He is the beat writer for the Utah Jazz. And, look, he covered Quinn Snyder his whole career. And uh, we'll hear what he has to say about Quinn Snyder up next. Chuck Reed in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com app. Flat on my face. Now, with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.
Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Back with you, John Chuckery Show. Hanging out in the Kia studios on this Monday evening. 404-741-0929. That is the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. The Odyssey app is how you catch us when you are on the go. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, you can follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, Quinn Snyder introduced today. And, of course, he was the former coach for the Utah Jazz. We head out to the WadeFord.com hotline, Atlanta's Ford dealer. Let's talk to the man that covers the Utah Jazz right now. He is the beat writer for the Utah Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune. He is Andy Larson. You can find him on his personal Twitter page, at Andy B. Larson. Andy, thank you so much for a few minutes here in Atlanta. And, um, listen, we've got your old coach here now, so – uh, you know, we're going to get 20 games of it and uh, see how this thing goes. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, I, I think it's Quinn, I think we kind of thought would be the next kind of like generational coach here in Utah where, you know, kind of like a Jerry Sloan or Frank Layden just be with the team for a long time. And, you know, he really was for the NBA, you know, at when he when he stepped down was the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. Uh, he is a very good coach, and I'm kind of excited to see what he does with the Atlanta Hawks. What do you think is the best attribute of Quinn Snyder? What What is it that he does so well? He is just a classic, like, basketball genius. He honestly might be, like, the single smartest person I've ever met. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but, like, the man has both a law degree and a MBA from Duke University um, and spends more time, you know, kind of – studying the X's and O's of basketball than, than anyone, you know, than, than, you know, most other coaches in the NBA and, and uh, just, it, it's pretty remarkable his rise and kind of the, the amount of time he spent to kind of studying just the game of basketball. I mean, I, I would encourage kind of you and, and your listeners to check out his writings, just like in FIBA magazine 10 plus years ago and kind of him breaking down different angles of the pick and roll based on different angles of the screen and so on and so forth. Like the man is just like extremely perceptive, extremely detail oriented, extremely uh, like he is so worried about the, and I think fairly and rightfully so about like each individual small detail of like basketball success on both ends of the floor. I think like from an X's and O's point of view, you talk to different coaches around the NBA um, they all love Quinn stuff. They all steal from Quinn stuff. Um, he is a really, really impressive coach from an X's and O's point of view. Um, and I, I think he has shown that in Utah and, and will probably show that in Atlanta with, with the talent you guys have. Andy Larson is the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune and joins us on the waitfor.com hotline. You know, it's funny that you mentioned all that too because, you know, it was Kyle Korver who was instrumental in, you know, reaching out to – Quinn Snyder, and he said the same thing about being a basketball savant, being a savant when it comes to the pick and roll. You know, obviously he is one of the, you know, probably premier offensive coaches in all of the NBA, is he not? Yeah, I I totally think so. And, you know, I think you look at the Jazz's offensive rating, especially last, you know, last year and two seasons ago when they were uh, number one in the league or top three two years ago with their offense. You know, and obviously that was with some talented players, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert. But 
you know, that being said, to, to be able to pull off the league's number one offense is impressive. And, you know, I think it was kind of with the spacing that they put together, you know, Quinn's always believed in like ball reversals in terms of moving the ball around a lot. Uh, it's, it's kind of a very egalitarian offense where, uh, you know, you kind of see a lot of ball movement, a lot of, um, you know, playmaking around the different, around different spots of the court. And, you know, we, we saw that work extremely well, especially offensively in Utah. There's no doubt about it. We, uh, we got word the other day that, um, uh, Donovan Mitchell had spoken with Trey young, uh, Cleveland was here in Atlanta on Friday night and, Supposedly they had a little powwow together and they talked about Quinn Snyder because the rumors were abound that he was going to be the coach any day now. So supposedly that there was a Woj report that said that Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young talked about it. And, you know, he talked about his influence on his career. How much influence did Quinn Snyder have on Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and their development? Yeah, you know, I think a lot. And I think, you know, that was kind of the strength of – his early record with the Jazz is player development. You know, I, I remember even talking to Paul Millsap, who obviously has Utah ties, played at Atlanta as well as an all-star, uh, about what Quinn Snyder did for his career in Atlanta in terms of turning him into an all-star, and, and I thought that was notable. You know, I think Donovan and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert really believed in Quinn. Even if they didn't believe in each other, they believed in Quinn uh, in order to, to make that happen. You know, I think you, you look at kind of Donovan's development over the course of his five years in Utah, and especially Rudy's development going from kind of a G League caliber and a first-round guy into an all-NBA kind of player. Uh, that was in large part because of Quinn's development system. And, of course, you know, he, he hired good assistant coaches along the way, but kind of had a vision for both of those guys in terms of what they could be as NBA stars and and kind of made it happen to some extent. Now, you know, that being said, Donovan's had his best career year in, in Cleveland this year. Rudy's probably had his worst career year in Minnesota this year. So, um, you know, it, it was not necessarily totally transferable. But I, I, I think, you know, if you're a Hawks fan kind of worried about how, for example, Trey Young uh, might work with Quinn Snyder, and I totally understand that given kind of the, the history there with Trey and, and previous Hawks coaches, Quinn is really good at kind of getting his stars to buy in and, and get, and, you know, buy into the system, buy into the team. Uh, I, you know, I think one of the reasons why that kind of did fall apart was less to do with kind of the, in, here in Utah was, was less to do with kind of Quinn and more to do with kind of the other players on the roster, more to do with the front office, more to do with kind of the, the surroundings of, of Utah as a state and as a community rather than, you know, Quinn Snyder, he is really kind of an effective, like, uh, leader of men in that kind of sense. And, you know, I, I think especially at the at the star level and, you know, I think, again, for him to have lasted eight, nine years in Utah uh, being relatively effective was, was actually pretty impressive for, for certainly any NBA coach and, you know, especially given kind of the rebuilding job he had here. Andy Larson is the beat writer for the Utah Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune, and he joins us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Would you say that, I mean, one of the criticisms that we heard about Nate McMillan, specifically John Collins, let's let's credit it to John Collins, is that he said that the message that Nate McMillan was giving them was probably more suited to an older team. Now, this is, I think, mean, sixth or seventh in the league as far as 
Youngest team by age, youngest team by experience. They're somewhere around in that range. So kind of two parts. Would you say that Quinn is very much a player's coach? And would you say that, and my buddy Sam Mitchell will will floor me for this, but would you say that he is a kind of more modern guy when it comes to philosophy and style and maybe identifies with the more modern player? Yeah, like, I, I don't think that he is, you know, I, I think he's certainly more of a player's coach than Nate McMillan was. I, I think he's, you know, certainly, I, I think he does do a really good job with identifying with a modern player. You know, I, it, it's funny, he is kind of on the, he, he's very good at communicating with, with younger guys and, and really NBA players of this age, like, uh, especially through text message. It's funny, he, he communicates, like, every hour of the day. So you may get a text from Quinn. I certainly have at, like, 2, 3 a.m. Uh, and <laughs> it's just kind of one of those things where Quinn, you know Quinn is up at all hours of night and kind of has your back. And I think that's something that every player really appreciates, but, you know, certainly modern players do as well. You know, I, I don't think there's, um, you know, the, the kind of accountability in terms of maybe – um, yelling at players in terms of, you know, trying to get things done. Certainly Quinn is a frequent, you know, he, he will, I guess, yell at players sometimes, but really is mostly kind of on their side. Um, and, you know, I, I think among kind of coaches of his generation is one of the better guys at getting through to, yeah, NBA stars of this era. You know, I, I, I do understand John Collins' uh, kind of concern about the, the McMillan era, and I, I think that makes sense. Quinn is a very different kind of coach compared to Nate. I, I, I you know, I think that's fair to say. I, I, you know, he is just really good at kind of listening to players' concerns, and you know, I, I, I think it's fair to think that you know, uh, you know, I would say maybe Lloyd Pierce is is kind of good at that too, and I understand that Trey Young uh, clashed with him a little bit as well. But like, I, I, you know, despite that, I think Quinn is. Uh, at least in my experience here in Utah, really pretty good at getting guys, especially the younger generation, on board. You know, if anything, here it, with the Jazz, kind of the problem was with the the older guys. You know, he clashed a little bit with Rudy Gay or Jeff Green, these uh, four men who, you know, the Jazz signed at 35, 36 years old and then kind of uh, weren't able to contribute what they expected. That was where the, where Quinn had some personal, you know, personality problems or disagreements along with the front office here in Utah. But, like, with the younger players, with the stars, he's been was, – was nothing but really great in getting, a, uh, uh, getting them on board. So you've kind of touched on, you know, the reasons that they separated. And you also mentioned at the very top of the show – or top of the interview, I should say, that you expected him to be – you know, when he was hired on, he'd be the next Jerry Sloan, be here for a long time, and, and this, that, and the other. But – Dive a little bit deeper into if your stars are on board with what he was doing in Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and things like that. I mean, with all due respect, can't you kind of rotate those other guys in and out? I mean, why why did it just break down to the point of, okay, we have to part company and we have to part ways with all of this, even though my stars are flourishing under your system? Yeah, you know, with the Jazz, it was a, you know, the, the stars themselves didn't get along, right? Like, so there was there was real tension between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, and just kind of the fact that the situation was kind of capped out. You know, the Jazz had 
traded multiple future picks. The Jazz had were at salary cap limits. They were, you know, at luxury tax limits, and so there wasn't a way for them to really improve the team beyond what they were last year. And that was a first round exit team. And so, you know, Danny Ainge, new management came in and kind of decided, hey, let's let's clean house a little bit. Um, and you know, I think Quinn, fairly enough, decided, hey, I don't want to be part of that. I think that was kind of the reason, the biggest reason why it, it did fall apart in Utah and why Quinn's not still coaching the Utah Jazz is uh, that, you know, I think he had a relationship with previous ownership here in Utah. You know, the the team then changed ownership to Ryan Smith. Uh, the the team changed management then to from Dennis Lindsay to uh, Danny Ainge. And while, I, you know, Dennis Lindsay and, and Quinn Snyder certainly did not get along, uh, there was kind of a understanding of how that would work through ownership such that Quinn felt that his voice was represented. And um, I don't know that he felt as confident in that in the Danny Ainge era. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that's definitely a part of the story here with him signing with Atlanta and, and certainly in the middle of the year is, you know, what kind of voice will Quinn have in personnel decisions, I would assume, uh, in order for him to accept that job, and, and this has been reported by John Hollinger and a bunch of people around the Atlanta situation, that you know he will have a voice in personnel decisions. It, that's important to him, and for him, you know, not just to kind of deal with the roster that he's given, but uh, you know, have real control over uh, the team, his coaching staff, certainly, uh, and kind of the style of basketball that's played. He he does want to have real voice in the room in those those decisions and I think uh that was with with kind of where the Jazz were as an organization coming into last offseason uh something that he didn't feel really sure that that would be uh given to him in Utah anymore with again changing ownership and changing management so yeah and you know I think that's maybe one fair criticism is say you know it's not going to be um necessarily a you know Quinn's not going to acquiesce sometimes to those kind of things like he will make his voice really heard and make his you know and want to be a part in a voice in the room in those decisions uh if he if he is coaching a team and you know clearly I think he, it's pretty clear that he wants that voice and is, is getting that voice in Atlanta that's a very interesting thing that you said to wrap this up um about the the personnel side and all that because there was a lot of rumors about he would be given the title of president of basketball operations like Mike Budenholzer had uh, at the end of his tenure so very very interesting that you say all that follow him on his Twitter page at Andy B Larson Andy Larson is the beat writer for the Utah Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune and joined us here on the waitfor.com hotline Andy, really appreciate a few minutes here in Atlanta. Thank you so much for the really good information, and uh, we will hopefully maybe at some point talk to you in the future. Sounds good. Thanks again. You got it. All right. That was very inter- very interesting what he said at the end there. Lines up with some things that I've heard and been told. But anyway, Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, the Odyssey.com app.